<sighs> the comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. This is the Tom Hartman Program. It's kind of the end of a bad week for Donald Trump. I mean, even those of us old enough to remember the spring of 1979 have probably forgotten that that was when the United States Attorney General appointed a special prosecutor to look into his own president's ownership of his peanut warehouse. Seriously, 1979, Jimmy Carter's, Jimmy Carter's uh, attorney general, Griffin Bell, appointed Paul Curran, who was a Republican, by the way, as a special investigator, special counsel to look into whether or not Jimmy Carter had seen balance sheets for his peanut farm, which he had put in a blind trust, which, by the way, by the time he left the presidency was like wiped out. But Jimmy Carter was in debt. And now we have a president who's trying to force world leaders into his own failing Florida hotel during its lowest occupancy season, just to jack up the revenues of this failing hotel that, you know, has uh, some have suggested has a serious bed bug problem. The attorney general is spending 30000 bucks on a Christmas party at the president's hotel in Washington, D.C., while the Air Force is pouring money into his failing Scotland property. And all that just seems to be fine with the exact same Republican Party that was so hysterical in 1979 that Jimmy Carter might know how much money he was losing on his peanut farm while he was president, that they demanded a special prosecutor look into it. I mean, how far have we fallen? You had Mick Mulvaney yesterday saying, yeah, of course there's a quid pro quo. And then today, well, I didn't mean it quite like that. We've got uh, Erdogan, the president of Turkey, telling a press conference, John Sopel of BBC uh, tweeting this out. Wow, Erdogan tells news conference the letter sent by Donald Trump telling him not to be a, quote, tough guy, end quote, wasn't in line with diplomatic or political customs. Erdogan said they would not forget the lack of respect, quote, when the time comes, necessary steps will be taken, end quote. Erdogan feels insulted. Meanwhile, Brett McGurk, remember Brett McGurk? 
Breckman, first he was in the Bush administration. He was the director for Iraq and then the special assistant to the president, to President Bush, and senior director for Iraq and Afghanistan, oversaw all aspects of U.S. policy during both those wars. And then when Obama came into office, he was one of only three people on the National Security Council staff that Obama said, would you please stay on? You're so good. I'd like you to hang out here. And in the Obama administration, he was special advisor to the National Security Council staff, senior advisor to Ryan Crocker, the, our ambassador to Baghdad, and basically in charge of Obama's Iraq policy. So this morning, MSNBC reports that last night at a rally in Texas, Donald Trump said about Turkey attacking the Kurds, Sometimes you have to let them fight like two kids in a lot. You just have to let them fight and then you pull them apart. That's what Trump said. So Brett McGurk, a guy who knows the region, shall we say, you know, an apolitical military and diplomatic policy guy, retweets this MSNBC story where, where Trump says you got to let them fight like two kids in a lot. He's talking about the the Kurds and the Turks. The Turks, of course, representing the second largest army in NATO. The Turks, of course, invading Kurdish territory in northern Syria, where Kurds, where the Kurdish families have lived for thousands of years, or hundreds of years, certainly. You've got Kurds now fleeing into the Kurdish regions of Iraq, which is now controlled by Iran. And you'll recall just a few months ago, there was a meeting, a summit meeting, I believe it was in Sochi, where the picture that came out of it was a picture of Vladimir Putin on one side, President Rouhani of Iran on the other side, and President Erdogan of Turkey in the middle with the three of them shaking hands with Erdogan's arms crossed. And what came out of that meeting was their demand that the U.S. stop supporting the Kurds. And this seems to have been forgotten by our media. That Putin, Rouhani, and Erdogan said the U.S. has to stop, just months ago, the U.S. has to stop supporting the Kurds. Why? Well, you know, Turkey has a problem with the Kurds in their south. The, the Kurds have been there, you know, as long as the Turks have been, and they want their own independent uh, region. The, the Kurds in northern Syria, which is on the southern border of Turkey, actually had, up until this last week, a version of Kurdistan. It was a semi-autonomous region. It was basically, you know, uh, it was run secularly. It was a democracy. They elected their leaders. They did not allow religion. Now, Erdogan has turned Turkey into an Islamic state. Syria, of course, Bashar al-Assad has used uh, religion as a weapon. And, and Trump just turned his back on it. So, so anyhow, Trump says sometimes you have to let them fight like two kids in a lot. And, and McGurk tweets, this is obscene and ignorant. 200,000 innocent people have been displaced. Hundreds are dead. There are credible reports of war crimes. ISIS prisoners are escaping. The U.S. had to evacuate and bomb its own positions or risk handing them over to Russia. 
two kids in a lot? I mean, this, this is what's going on. And yeah, we had to bomb our own bases. On Wednesday, the U.S. military said two F-15E jet fighters carried out an airstrike to destroy an ammunition storage facility, latrines, tents, and other parts of the Syrian headquarters of the American campaign to destroy Islamic State. We bombed our own headquarters for our campaign to destroy the Islamic State in the entire region. We bombed our own headquarters because Donald Trump turned the area over to Turkey. And Turkey is cutting a deal with Syria and Russia in this area. Colonel Miles Kagan's uh, spokesperson for the coalition said the airstrikes were necessary to, quote, reduce the facility's military usefulness. Yeah, well, it was our headquarters to fight ISIS. This is bizarre. Tom Harmon here with you. On the line with us is Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal, who is the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, along with Mark Pocan, who's a regular on this show every week. Congresswoman Jayapal represents the 7th District of the state of Washington. Jayapal.house.gov is the website, and Rep. Jayapal is the Twitter handle. Representative Jayapal, welcome back. Thanks so much, Tom. It's always great to be with you. So what what are you seeing as the top issues of the day? I mean, this has been such a wild week with all the insane stuff coming out of the president. Mick Mulvaney yesterday, the testimony before the impeachment committees, this disaster in Syria where we're walking away from our allies, the Kurds. I, I don't know where to begin. <laughs> I, I feel the same way, actually. I mean, I think that what we're seeing is this incredible set of information all pointing to corroborating that the president abused his power and the power of the White House and did it all for personal gain by asking a foreign country to interfere in our election and withholding military assistance to that country that Congress had authorized just so he could encourage interference in our elections. It is a massive abuse of power, a massive betrayal of our Constitution, our values, and our national security. But I think the other thing is I'm stunned by all of the people from Giuliani to Mick Mulvaney who essentially admit to everything publicly. Like, this is not a case where we have to ferret out information. We may have gotten the most important information right up front, and it's just being corroborated every day. I think, you know, Donald Trump has been doing this his entire life. He's one of those people who was born into privilege and was protected by privilege. And, uh, you know, like the kid with the cookie jar who says, yeah, I took him. What are you going to do about it? Um, you know, whether it's his bragging at, to Billy Bush about how he can grab women by, by, you know, by their private parts or or whether it's his saying he could walk out on Fifth Avenue and shoot somebody and he'd still yeah. have, you know, even even more people would support him. I think he is so used to getting away with things. He probably literally has never in his life, outside of maybe a few incidents in his childhood with his family, it might be the things that got them to ship him off to military school. Outside of that, I don't think he's ever been held accountable. And I think I, that I think you're absolutely right. 
I think you're absolutely right. And I think there are two scenarios for how he could have done this whole thing with Ukraine. One is that he really didn't think there was anything wrong with what he did, in which case he really should not be in the Oval Office. And the other is that exactly what you said, that he's used to doing all of these things and nobody ever holds him accountable. He's incredibly arrogant about this. Um, And, you know, the the so-called stable genius, he thinks that everybody's going to love what he does as long as he just says it loudly and clearly over and over again. I think he's going to find that that situation does not work for him today. I was interested to see that the White House tried to roll back some of Mulvaney's statements yesterday because, listen, they they are making our case for us. And it is a sad day for the American people that this is the kind of administration that is sitting there abusing power of foreign allies. And, and, you know, it's not just Ukraine. Um, You look at Syria, and you have to wonder what does Erdogan or Putin have on him, because when you look at what's happened in Syria and the mess that's been created, and it's not, of course, Tom, that we think, you know, we progressives don't necessarily support having troops all over the world, but the the way in which these troops were withdrawn, um, the way in which we threw the Kurds to the side, abandoned them, betrayed them, really, um, pushed them to go running back to Assad, uh, which is really destroying all of the work that has been done over the past several years, all of this was an outrage. And then to do all of it without uh, Congress, much less without his his own team behind him. Right. With no consultation. And I think so many Americans have completely forgotten this. It was just a little blip in the news when it happened. But and I don't have the news story right in front of me. I'm doing this from memory. So my dates might be off. But my recollection is this was about six months ago. And I think that the meeting was in Sochi and President Putin of Russia President Rouhani of Iran and President Erdogan of Turkey, the three of them got together. You can easily find this stuff on the Internet. The photo of the three of them at the end of this meeting, this summit meeting, and what they formally called for was for the U.S. to stop helping. And I forget the exact phrase, but it was something like, you know, regional actors who want to break away or words to that effect, which was code for the Kurds. Right. That's right. Basically, they want America to stop helping the Kurds. And guess what? Six months later, or however long it's it been, happens. It, it happens. happens. Yeah. After yeah. a phone call. And I'm wondering if there was even more than one phone call. What do we do? I, I, re- I mean, I really do believe that there that there probably was just like when we found out about Ukraine, we found out about how a lot of these calls with foreign leaders were sort of scrubbed and put into a safe. You know, who knows what other calls are in there? There were at least 12 calls with Putin. And in the past, there have been numerous people that are on those calls. I think Trump immediately when this Ukraine stuff started happening, he immediately started to cut down the number of people that are even there. And so there are all kinds kinds of issues here. And I, I, I had a town hall when I was back in the district last week or the week before, and somebody stood up and said, um, you know, how do we, what do we do about the fact that uh, democracy and the idea of democracy around the world is crumbling uh, as this president stands with these dictators from right. all over? And I said, look, the first thing we have to do is protect democracy here. Yep. Because if if we can't make the argument that democracy here is going to work, and I will tell you, Tom, I'm afraid, sitting on the Judiciary Committee, that we are coming up against some of the limitations of our Constitution as it's crafted and uh, of the democracy as it was envisioned. And so we have to make sure we protect that democracy and that Constitution here to show other people that it can be done and not 
facilitate the rise of these rogue dictators and, and fascists around the world. Which raises a question. I mean, you're also a member of the House Budget Committee as well as Judiciary, if, if my yep. recollection is correct. That's right. And it has been... I mean, Democrats have been really struggling with this, it, where people in the in the administration are telling potential witnesses who have worked for the administration or worked for the administration not to testify before Congress, and they're refusing to turn over subpoenaed documents. And apparently there is some piece of some law someplace that says that basically if somebody inside the executive branch refuses to cooperate with Congress or advises others to refuse to cooperate with Congress, you can cut off their paycheck. But, I mean, we live in a world where, uh, you know, according to reporting over a Politico by uh, uh, Ken Vogel, Rush Limbaugh is getting a multi-million dollar a year subsidy from the Heritage Foundation, as is Sean Hannity and other right-wing radio hosts. Nothing like that happening on the left, I'll tell you for sure. Yeah. Um, so it seems like even if you cut off the paycheck to somebody in the White House who's making 60 grand a year, 80 grand a year, whatever it may be these days, that some right wing foundation or some right wing billionaire would just step in and say, here, let me, you know, like they paid off and we still don't know who did it. Biff's, uh, yeah. you know, uh, Mr. Beerbong, our, our, uh, Mr. Kavanaugh, they, <laughs> Kavanaugh. Paid, off, yeah, they yeah. paid off his uh, $200,000 worth of credit card bills. I mean, we still right. don't know who did that. Right. Is there any mechanism, any leverage that can be used against these people outside of, you know, we're going to threaten you with contempt of Congress. And by the way, that took seven years to resolve when the, Demo when the Republicans, uh, you know, went after Eric Holder that way. No, that's right. That's one of the things when I said we're running up against the limits of our democracy and our constitution as it's framed, is I don't think that the framers envisioned a, a corrupt president with basically access to 24-7 news channels like Fox News and, you know, all these other things, or a Republican Party that would unilaterally fear the bully in the bully pulpit and refuse to speak up for the country over the person, over their seat really is what it comes down to. And so we are looking now at different things. You know, we do have an inherent power of contempt where Congress has the ability to jail people, um, fine them, but as you said, fines will just be paid by somebody else. I'm not sure how much that's going to do, but, but jail people mm -hmm. um, in a jail right here in Congress. But the problem with that is the last time it was used was in the 1920s, and basically what, what the rules say is you have to have a trial at the House of the uh, at the bar of the house mm. nobody has any idea what that means so the idea of inherent contempt if we were to use it has to be dramatically updated for this day and age but short of that tom it's what we are in which is an impeachment inquiry our highest power really is those article one powers of impeachment right. and um it is you know uh, there, there are too, the road to fascism is littered with too many moments where people did not speak up or speak out. And I really do believe we're in one of those moments where we have to not allow that to be the case here. And the case for impeachment is, is strong. Yeah, and getting stronger by the day. Congresswoman yes. Jayapal is with us. Will you take some phone calls from our listeners? Absolutely. Great. Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal is with us. She's the co-chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus, represents the 7th District of the great state of Washington, just a wee bit north of me right here in Portland, Oregon. Jayapal.house.gov and Rep. Jayapal on Twitter. Bloomberg.
Bloomberg reports there's an increasing number of people concerned about their wealth due to the fear we may be entering a larger economic crisis than 2008. If you've been paying attention, you know the Dow recently had its sixth largest point loss in history, and the stock market continues to show extreme volatility. Meanwhile, central bank gold purchases have risen to a six-decade high, sending gold prices higher. CNBC and the World Gold Council reports Russia and China are swapping out U.S. dollars from their own portfolios, investing in safer, more liquid assets like gold. And what makes things even more suspicious, the U.S. Federal Reserve reportedly holds the most gold of all central banks. What's everyone getting ready for? If you share the gut feeling that something is soon to go south with the global economy, call my friends at ITM Trading at one own gold Proper gold and silver strategy will help secure your entire wealth portfolio. Call ITM Trading at one own gold Gold. Ask them for their free gold protection guide and secure your wealth while you still can. That's 1-888-OWNGOLD. You're listening to Tom Hartman. Richard in Bellevue, Washington, listening on KBCS. You're on the air with Congresswoman Jayapal. Congresswoman Jayapal, first of all, thank you for all of your work on behalf of my district, which is seven. Oh, I wonderful. Very, very much. I have uh, one um, urgent and immediate request of you and your colleagues that you please introduce a bill immediately to remove an exemption from pardons of presidents, vice presidents, high-ranking officials who are impeached and convicted. They should not be pardoned. I'd like to have that done immediately. Oh, so, so no more Jerry Ford tricks, uh, Congresswoman. Your thoughts? Yeah, no. Thank you, Richard. First of all, thank you uh, for you, for your kind words. And um, this this literally has come up over the last two weeks, and I can tell you we're looking at that right now, and what it would look like, how it would be worded, um, and what the legislative text would would be like. So stay tuned. I think this is a very very important issue because I think when you go back to Jerry Ford and Nixon, um, and you look at why did Ford actually lose his election. A big part of it, I think, is people were so frustrated that he pardoned Nixon and that there wasn't accountability after um, the evidence was so clearly laid out. So clearly laid out, in fact, that um, by the time it came to impeachment, it was inevitable and Nixon resigned instead. So I hear you. We are, uh, as I said, having to contemplate many, many new things given this environment and, and given the history of Nixon and Ford. Yeah. Morris, listening on KPFK in Los Angeles. You're on the air with uh, Congresswoman Jayapal. Hey, good morning, everybody. And if I was Nick Mulvaney, I would resign this morning. Uh, Congresswoman, I have a question for you. You were talking about inherent contempt. The rules with respect to inherent contempt are set by the House. And my understanding is the House has set rules that would have people in jail next week, the violators of your subpoenas. Am I correct in assuming that? Yeah, doesn't it just take a simple majority of, uh, thank you very much, for, uh, Morris, doesn't it just take a simple majority vote to change the rules of the House? It's a little bit more complicated. The actual um, language of what inherent contempt process is supposed to look like, I think, comes from elsewhere. And then the rules have to be set to ensure that that is being upheld. Uh. And I can't tell you what the site is because I haven't done that research myself and I'm forgetting what it was. But we do get to set the rules. And yes, we could vote on that with a simple majority. But those rules are dictated from elsewhere. And I don't know if it's a constitutional thing. I'm not exactly sure. But we are looking at that right now. We've had attorneys actually exploring how do we use inherent contempt at this 
this moment, what it requires so that we can understand exactly what that you know, it, it yeah. understand and then implement. It, exactly it sounds, it sounds like. like it's a little bit like British common law, where you've got this accumulation of precedent and that because Great Britain doesn't have a constitution. Yeah. Um, so you've got this accumulation of precedent and that functions as a constitution because the constitution doesn't yeah. speak of inherent contempt. Yeah, it doesn't. And so I, I will have to get back to you on exactly where that comes from. But I can tell you that our excellent attorneys on Judiciary Committee, this is one of their top issues, is trying to figure out how to work out what those rules would be. Yeah, yeah. Fascinating question. Linda in Coconut Creek, Florida, you're on the air with Representative Jayapal. My question is, it's a senior question about Medicare. How can we get Medicare or whoever it is that's in charge of it to show us what these private companies are doing to it? We want to see firsthand how they're bankrupting it. Are you talking about Medicare Advantage, Medicare Part C, that has was yes. introduced in 2005 during the Bush administration and now has uh, taken about a quarter, a little over a quarter of all Medicare recipients? And some of these policies have ten, twenty thousand dollars annual out of pockets that that they don't disclose and you don't know about. It, yeah, it's it's an right. outrage, Wendy, and and thank you for for that question. That's exactly why I've introduced Medicare for All. Um, it is HR. 1384 in the House. We have 119 co-sponsors because we do not believe that these private plans should be able to, um, to you know, basically milk seniors who desperately need services. And these private plans, I mean, we're hearing a lot of corruption around them, too, in terms of, you know, people are being told that they should get rid of their Medicare coverage and sign up for Medicare Advantage instead. And of course, once you do that, it's very difficult to get back on Medicare. So um, these private insurance companies, there is a lot of research that shows that 25 to 30% of all of our healthcare expenditures in this country, currently $3.5 trillion a year, going up to $6 trillion um, in the next 10 years, that 25 to 30% of that is administrative waste. What does that mean? It means incredibly high CEO salaries, um, anywhere from 50 to 84, $85 million a year for the top insurance companies. And it also means that there are no cost controls whatsoever. So Medicare for All says everybody gets covered by a government insurance plan that is guaranteed. Whether you get sick, whether you um, you know switch employers, whether you suddenly get unemployed, whatever it is, you are going to be covered. No co-pays, premiums, or private deductibles because, as you said, average family is paying $20,000, even if they buy insurance on the marketplace, they're paying about $20,000 in out-of-pocket costs. And those costs go all the way up, as you know. 50% of bankruptcies today are due to medically-related costs. So Medicare for All says we're going to give you comprehensive care. You won't need to buy additional Medicare Advantage plans to cover dental and vision and all of those things as a senior. You will get those as, a, as, as your right for comprehensive care. And also for the first time in my bill, we include long-term care, which mm-hmm. is so important for our seniors and for our folks with disabilities. And we flip the default so that instead of uh, the default being that you get taken care of an institutional care, um, you actually, the default is that you get taken care of at home or in community-based care with your loved ones. So That's great. Um, 
we're really excited about Medicare for All. We have a uh, we have a letter that has been signed by 250 economists, Wendy, who have also said that not only is it the right thing to do to provide universal quality coverage to everybody, not just the wealthiest few, but it's also economically good for our system because. Um, this healthcare system as it is, is going to bankrupt us. And the only people that are profiting off of this are these big for-profit private insurance companies and pharmaceutical companies. It is a system designed for profits and not patients, and that is unacceptable. In Denver, Colorado, Judy, you're on the air with Congresswoman Jayapal. Why is it that nobody in Congress seems to consider a part of the impeachment process, that Donald Trump is getting $5 million from his Twin Towers in Istanbul, Turkey, along with a lot of other money from more than 100 companies he has controls in um, Turkey, but also all the companies he is making money from around the world. Why isn't this a part of the impeachment, and why isn't it considered? Thank you, Judy, for your for your question. It is absolutely a part of the inquiry, both in terms of an article that could be structured around abuse of power, because if you just watched what happened with the G7 summit and, and his Doral um, resort, you know, he basically used his office to direct business from the G7 summit to his resort. To his, We've seen his that. failing bed bug hotel. <laughs> to his failing bed bug it. hotel. That's what I'm going to call it, Tom. You're absolutely right. And he's directed Pence to stay at his hotel in, I think it's Ireland. He's directed yeah. the military over there, in right? Scotland, he's, yeah. he's diverted pl uh, planes um, to land so that they can stay in his resorts. It's, it's absolutely outrageous. And then if you look at the Trump Hotel right here in Washington, D.C., we call it the Washington emolument because any wealthy foreign dictator who wants to come, or not dictator, any foreign leader who wants to come and get a benefit from Trump um, comes and stays in that hotel. And then Trump benefits from those uh, room rates or whatever. And, they, and often we've seen that they even charge uh, higher than anything comparable. So this is all part of our abuse of power and emoluments um, investigations that have been ongoing. The process now, just on impeachment in general, is that each of the committees is reviewing what is in front of them, what investigations they have, completing up whatever they have, and then they will send all of those reports over to the Judiciary Committee where I sit. We will look at all of those and um, if we are going to go forward with impeachment, um, we will craft articles that take, you know, take as much as we think will be able to really hold the best case. We're not going to we're not going to take on everything because really what's important here is if we impeach, if the House impeaches, it goes to the trial in the Senate, and we want to make sure we've got the strongest case possible. So each article of impeachment would be voted on separately, perhaps an article on emoluments, perhaps an article on uh, abuse of power, and certainly, in my view, if we're going to move forward, an article on obstruction of Congress. Fascinating stuff. We have calls for you from Alabama, California, Arizona, New York, California, Oregon. I'm sorry we're out of time, but Congresswoman Jayapal, thanks so much for dropping by today. It's been great talking to you, and I look forward to the next time you can come on the program. 
Really looking forward to it, Tom. Thanks for everything you do to educate all of us. Thank you. And, and thank you for the great work you're doing in Congress. Con okay. Congresswoman Pramila Jayapal. Until last year, I'd never endorsed a weight loss product, but I decided to change that after reading about university research into a molecule in olive oil that regulates the appetite. My wife convinced me that there was a company and a product worth sharing, and a year later, I'd have to say she's right. The key, you know, to losing weight is getting your appetite and those pesky food cravings under control, and once you do that, uh, the rest is a whole lot easier. My producer, Sean, is now trying Ridgie Zone, too. I mean, who doesn't want to lose a few pounds before the holidays? And Sean says Ridgie Zone is making it easy for her to stick to her weight loss plan. Just one capsule with breakfast and forget it. Second one with dinner for days when you need a little extra help. Sean says when you don't feel hungry, it's easier to make better choices. The only ingredient in Ridgie Zone occurs naturally in the body and is completely non-stimulant. And that really appealed to both Louise and Sean. Listen, if you're looking to lose weight this season, I strongly suggest you give non-prescription Zone a try. Use the promo code TOM, T-H-O-M, and get up to 65% off plus free shipping. Go to RidgeZone.com. It's R-I-D-U-Z-O-N-E.com. R-I-D-U-Zone.com. RidgeZone.com. Promo code TOM. RidgeZone.com. You're listening to Tom Hartman. And welcome back. Tom Harbin here with you. Uh, on the line with us is Congressman Ro Khanna, who represents the 17th District of California, the uh, Silicon Valley area. He is the vice chair of the Congressional Progressive Caucus. Khanna, K-H-A-N-N-A dot house dot gov is his website. His Twitter handle is Rep Ro Khanna. And uh, Congressman Khanna, welcome back to the program. Tom, thanks for having me back on. You're on the uh, House Oversight Committee, which was chaired by Congressman Elijah Cummings, who passed away yesterday. I'm curious your thoughts on that and, and also on you know where to start with what's going on in the world. And then we'll get right into taking calls for you. Well, it was a very sad moment, not just for the country, but on a personal level for many members of Congress. Uh, there, when Speaker Pelosi talked and eulogized uh, Representative Cummings, uh, many members of Congress had, had tears in their eyes, and that's because of who Elijah Cummings was as a person. I mean, a son of sharecroppers, a civil rights icon. He had a moral presence uh, that few had. And I remember early on on his committee, he pulled us all aside and he said, uh, you know, don't go uh, posturing for television cameras. This is about the weight of history, the weight of the Constitution. Be worthy of the moment. So uh, at a time where you don't have a lot of moral leadership uh, in the halls of government. Uh, Elijah Cummings was a, a moral leader, and he was respected not just by Democrats, but by Republicans. So it's a real loss for the country, and one can only hope that we'll live up to some of the examples uh, he set. Yeah. Amen. And your thoughts on what's going on in the world, uh, Syria, the impeachment? Um, or do you you know, I mean, it's heartbreaking what's happening in Syria. I mean, I have been on the progressive side calling for a responsible withdrawal, but that is not a withdrawal that this president has done oblivious to human life. I mean, to hear the president say that the situation is nice because we haven't lost a single American life, uh, as if the lives of people uh, in Syria don't matter, as if the Kurds don't matter, is just a betrayal of everything this country stands for in terms of our belief in universal human rights. We should have had an agreement with Erdogan uh, well before we left that he would not invade. Uh, the current ceasefire, uh, Turkey doesn't even acknowledge it. They're just calling it a pause uh, in the violence. And it's not acceptable to tell 1.7 million Kurds to leave, to have some mass exodus.
this, uh, that's not a solution. Uh, so we need to put diplomatic pressure on Turkey uh, with the possibility of sanctions, with restriction of possible military aid, to make sure that they understand uh, that they can't invade uh, the northern Syrian region with the Kurds, uh, and to make it uh, clear that we're going to stand up for our allies. Yeah, and I got a, I think it was a press release out of the Pentagon yesterday about uh, a woman who died fighting beside the Kurds, who was getting posthumously getting a medal yesterday. Um, I, I, that his argument that nobody has died. I mean, maybe nobody has died in the last week. No American has died in the last week. Obviously, you know, hundreds of Kurds, mostly civilians, have died, or many civilians have died. We, we're getting reports of beheadings. We're getting reports of rapes. Um, these the Kurds are being forced out of their homes where they've lived for hundreds of years, and they will be replaced, according to Mr. Erdogan, with Turkish people. Um, uh, uh, correct me if I'm wrong on all that, but I think that you're, you're absolutely right. Tom, the sad thing is that the president does doesn't even feel any remorse. Uh, he doesn't consider, based on his statements, the, the, the moral worth of the, of the Kurdish people. His, he is so focused on America first, America, uh, American interests, that he uh, is uh, indifferent to the plight of the Kurds. Indifferent. I mean, he said they need to, uh, uh, they need to get out of there, basically. I mean, so uh, you're right. I mean, this is a humanitarian crisis. Kurds are being killed, some of them slaughtered. Uh, they're being displaced. Uh, and and we're not doing enough, and we have so much leverage over Turkey. I mean, they're a NATO ally. We can get this to stop. The president's claim also, by the way, that he, he removed those 50 service members uh, to protect their lives is completely disingenuous, because anyone studying that area knows that Turkey would never have uh, invaded at the risk of uh, uh, inflicting casualties on Americans and go, risking going to war with America. Yeah. Yeah, uh, hopefully it doesn't come to that. Joe in Cupertino, California, you're on the air with your congressman, Ro Khanna. Yeah. yeah, thank you, Tom. Um, congressman, thank you for the town hall meeting. We're going to have to get a bigger venue. It was standing room only. I believe there was like your 36th town hall meeting. Uh, my condolences to uh, the, the representative Cummings family. I'm very impressed with his work, as I was impressed with yours in the way that you're humanitarian and the respect of inter-religious beliefs in our community. Um, I wanted to let Tom know that I appreciated him bringing Anna Iskow in the other day. She, I called her office and thanked her directly. That Stanford connection with Judge Perskins and the recall is very important. But she's not um, on board with 1384, so I wondered if you might be able to speak with her about that. That being said, my question, Tom, and Congressman, is I heard Senator Kennedy from Louisiana try to defend Trump by using Aaron Burr. And I was wondering what the heck was he talking about? So I might have did some reading. Can you clarify how did that make it? How can the Trump administration use the situation that occurred in 1804 today? Well, Joe, I appreciate the kind words. I have no idea what they're thinking. I mean, obviously, Aaron Burr famously killed Alexander Hamilton in a duel and wasn't prosecuted for that, to my knowledge. But if that's their argument, that they want to hold a standard that the vice president or president can commit criminal acts in 2020, including murder, and not be held accountable, that's a pretty weak argument, and I don't think people are going to buy it. And I'm shocked that uh, that's the analogy they're drawing. Yeah, that is pretty mind-boggling. Adam in New Orleans, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. I'm not being hyperbolic. Why are we not in a coup, as Matt Taibbi argues? The president and the Justice Department are denying 
the House's constitutional authority, GOP members of Congress have vowed not to hold a real trial, and the Supreme Court is packed. Do we have a way of enforcing impeachment? The challenge is we need Republicans to speak up. I mean, this president, unfortunately, for reasons I can't comprehend, retains a 90 percent approval rating with Republicans. And you don't have a single Republican senator, not a single one, saying we ought to have an impeachment inquiry, not even Mitt Romney, uh, not uh, Ben Sass, not Susan Collins. You've had one Republican uh, call for that in the House, Justin Amash, and he was kicked out of the party. So the problem isn't with our constitutional design or the framework uh, that our founders set up. The problem is that the Republicans have totally betrayed the Constitution, and someone has to help the Republicans uh, take their party back. David in Columbus, Ohio, listening to WGRN. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Every time a Republican gets in there, it creates an imperial presidency where they, you know, like Nixon was bombing Cambodia and doing whatever he pleased. Uh, after that, they, they put some uh, War Powers Act in. What can we do now to, put, to uh, curb the power of the presidency and bring back Congress? Well, David, I appreciate that. You're absolutely right. The, the War Powers Act passed in 1973 over Richard Nixon's veto. There was that much concern for Nixon's campaign in, in Vietnam and Cambodia. And uh, Senator Sanders and I, uh, th this year, for the first time in American history, uh, passed a War Powers resolution through the Senate and the House on a bipartisan basis uh, to stop our war in Yemen. I mean, we uh, got a resolution to pass to say we shouldn't be refueling Saudi airplanes that were bombing Yemen. The president vetoed it, but voluntarily suspended the refueling, uh, bowing to congressional pressure. So you have an emerging coalition in Congress ready to exercise the war powers resolution, uh, tired of these endless wars. Uh, and I think that that gives us hope that Congress finally may reassert its Article I powers. Uh, currently, we had an amendment passed uh, restricting any funding to Iran uh, that passed the House. My amendment did, but we're trying to get it into the Senate and the conference committee. Leslie in Central Square, New York, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. Hi, Tom. Hi, Congressman Kana. Hey, I'd like to bring up the fact about the debate where Bernie and Elizabeth brought up well, the candidates taking corporate money, but they didn't say much about it. It was kind of quick, but it was a fact that should be brought out more. And Kamala Harris, I bugged out of her head because she thought Elizabeth was going to out her. This is terrible. People got to know in a democracy what these people are about and what they really really do. And it's, and it's hidden, hidden from the American people what these corporate Democrats actually do. They take money then they go against the American people. And it's not brought out at all, hardly anywhere, and the corporate media will not bring it out. I'd like to hear from you, please. I agree with you when it comes to the private insurance companies. I mean, there are two things that were said in that debate that need to be responded to. First one, Vice President Biden says that Medicare for All is going to cost $30 trillion. The next sentence should be, well, the current system costs $49 trillion. I mean, obviously, health care costs money. We know that. The point is, what is going to be cheaper? And all of the economists say that Medicare for all is going to be cheaper. And that's common sense, because you're taking out the excessive insurance profits. You're allowing Medicare to negotiate with the hospitals. You're taking out the big pharma profits. The second thing is when Pete Buttigieg is uh, accusing Elizabeth Warren and Bernie Sanders of raising taxes, failing to point out that 
his own plan of having people buy in is going to cost people four or five thousand dollars. That's that's actually the cost. Bernie Sanders and Elizabeth Warren are not going to be charging the money to working class folks. They're going to have corporations, employers, and the wealthy pay for it, and it's going to mean lower deductibles. In fact, no deductibles. Uh, it's going to mean lower drug prices, and it's going to mean uh, not having to pay four or five thousand dollar premiums. So uh, the economics. I mean, there's a reason Paul Krugman, Joseph Stiglitz. Robert Reich, all of the economists who have looked at this think that a single payer makes economic sense with lower costs and provide good benefits. There's a reason, given that consensus, that people aren't embracing it, and that's because of the power of the pharmaceutical lobby and the insurance lobby. Drew in Portland, Oregon. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Uh, yes. Thank you, Congressman, for your progressive values and your brave leadership. I have a question, and hopefully you can answer in Maybe, Tom, you can spend more time on it next week. But I'm looking to find out the process that the DNC is going to use to pick who our Democratic primary finalists will be. I'm worried that, you know, with Biden, Biden having about 21 percent and Warren and Sanders controlling about 45 percent, that Warren and Sanders are going to split the blue states while Biden gets the red states. And it's going to make him come out in the end of having more delegates. What is the process for how we actually choose who the Democratic person is going to be? True, it's a great question. Well, the DNC has eliminated superdelegates, so the first ballot is going to be all of the people with their elected delegates, uh, and, and they get to vote on who the nominee is. Now, I believe that the person who wins the plurality of the, uh, the elected delegates uh, will likely be the nominee. I hear your concern about Joe Biden, though I'm not sure that's how it's going to turn out. I mean, hypothetically, if Bernie Sanders or Elizabeth Warren win Iowa and New Hampshire and Nevada, where both of them are doing well and where Joe Biden has been struggling, I'm not sure that Joe Biden then coming and possibly winning South Carolina will be enough to save his campaign. So my sense is that the energy is very much on the progressive side. So it's basically just going to be who gets elected and who survives the primaries. I mean, there are the caucuses, right? Yes, with the one exception. Look, if there's a threshold that you need to get to get the nomination, and you could see someone having a plurality, but on the first ballot not getting that threshold, and then if it goes to a second vote, then superdelegates can vote. And then I could see uh, a lot of horse trading and insiders getting involved in the process. So I just hope that this thing will not go to a second ballot. Yeah, that makes perfect sense. Louise and I have recently discovered the powerful, well, actually, you know, months ago, maybe, almost a year ago, the powerful health benefits of CBD oil. We've been using New Leaf Natural CBD oil for a while and really loving it. CBD oil doesn't get you high, so it's great for people who want the health benefits of cannabinoids without the mind-altering effects of medical marijuana. CBD is non-toxic. It has potent pain-relieving and anti-inflammatory properties. And the brand that Louise and I trust the most is New Leaf Naturals. New Leaf Naturals is the highest quality CBD oil on the market. 100% organic, highly concentrated, no additional additives, grown right here in the USA, and the only ingredient is hemp. So it's totally legal, and the product remains in its most pure and simple form. Go to newleafnaturals.com, that's N-U, leafnaturals.com, and get 30% off and free shipping in the U.S. when you use the code TOM, spelled T-H-O-M. Go to N-U-LeafNaturals.com for premium cannabinoid wellness. There's only one place, NewLeafNaturals.com. That's N-U-LeafNaturals.com. NewLeafNaturals.com.
Jill in Liverpool, New York. You are on the air with Congressman Khanna. Thank you. Hello, Congressman Rokana. I'm a great admirer of yours. Thank you, Jill. And, and I have a question. But why is it Nixon was impeached on obstruction of justice, abuse of power, and contempt of Congress? And today, Trump has done the same and much more as far as emoluments violations go and a little bit of collusion going on. What is the holdup here? Well, Jill, the holdup is the Republicans. We live in a much more partisan time. I mean, I am confident that the House will vote on the articles, and I anticipate that will happen before the end of the year. Uh, The Speaker was hopeful that, given the extraordinary evidence of this president's abuse of office, uh, that some Republicans would break, just like they did in the time of Richard Nixon. But we haven't seen it. We haven't seen it, even though the chief of staff is going on national television and bragging about a quid pro quo uh, with Ukraine to get dirt uh, on uh, uh, or to understand election interference. We're still uh, not in a place uh, where Republicans are holding this president accountable. And that's what's changed. Kathleen in Cleveland, Ohio. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hi. I had a question about the media bias that we experience against Bernie Sanders on a daily basis. In particular, today I saw that Nina Turner retweeted um, asking NBC to change. They credited Bernie's quote during the debate, the highlight of the night, I saw it when he said, why are we arguing about such a corrupt system? And they credited that comment to Elizabeth Warren saying it. And whether they straightened it out by now or not, I don't know. But every day and these people, when I try to make my argument for Bernie, it's like everything's working against me. Anything they watch, even on standard news, it's not just cable news. Everybody's trying to make them think that we're not, we don't have a strong campaign going. We don't have a lot of followers. There's no chance he's going to win. So support someone else. Yeah. And Kathleen if, and, and, and Congressman, if I can add to that, in the previous hour, I, I went into a rant. I, I keep hearing on MSNBC and CNN literally every day some multimillionaire television talking head or some pundit talking about the far left, right? This morning, it's like, you know, uh, David Brooks this morning, the New York Times, Elizabeth Warren is too far left. And of course, you know, they've been saying Bernie Sanders too far left. And I'm like, Franklin Roosevelt, the guy who founded the modern Democratic Party and brought us out of the wilderness in 1933, in his second Bill of Rights, he proposed that the government give free education to everybody in the United States, free health care to everybody in the United States, a guaranteed job to everybody in the United States, and housing guaranteed to everybody in the United States by the government. And and there's I don't I don't think that even Bernie and Elizabeth Warren are taking positions that that uh, quote radical left. The vast majority of Americans want Social Security strengthened. They want Medicare strengthened. They want a national health care program. They want prescription drugs cheaper. They want, uh, you know, a green, uh, you know, a, a cheaper and less polluting electricity. They want uh, their air and water to be cleaner. They want their drugs and their food to be decent. What the hell is the far left? What the hell is the far left position 
that is being taken by progressives like you or Bernie or Elizabeth Warren, what is that far left position that's too far left for America? I don't know what it is. I look at all these surveys and I don't see anything. What am I missing? Well, Tom, we need you out on the trail. I mean, that, that's a, a pretty good and absolutely right. Bernie Sanders' best answer in the debate when they asked him, how is he going to win? How is someone with a, a left agenda going to win? He said, the reason I'm going to win is because every policy I'm talking about is popular among the American people. I mean, just to take one example of the disingenuity and lies when people said, oh, Senator Sanders and Elizabeth Warren want to strip you of your freedoms. I mean, Pete Buttigieg is running that ad in Iowa right now, running an ad saying that Medicare for all is going to strip people of their freedoms. And the question I have for him is, do you, would you say that about current Medicare? Because we require every person in this country to be on Medicare Part A, and we require them to be on Medicare Part B if you want to have any insurance. But most people are very happy with that. No one thinks that their freedoms are being stripped. In fact, the original idea was to extend that to everyone. So all we're talking about is extending what already 40% of this country has and making sure everyone has that. When we're talking about free public college, all we're saying is in 1945, you had free high school. In a 2020 economy, we need more years of education and we need better preschool and we need people to have four more years after, at least two or four more years after high school. So what Senator Sanders and Senator Warren are talking about actually are the ingredients that we're going to need to succeed in a 21st century economy. Uh, And I think here's the good part, though, Tom. Uh, The Beltway doesn't really matter nearly as much as people think. I mean, the person who got the worst press in the entire Beltway uh, was Donald Trump, and he's sitting there as President of the United States. So, uh, you know, I think they should come more on your show. There you go. So there's hope. Steve in Napa, California. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. I want to make a couple comments about the Mulvaney quote that's being talked about and how that was a quid pro quo and it's being referred to as an exchange for investigation of the Democrats. Um, You know, I think it would, or election interference, I think it would be more direct to state that it's an election of the contractors, CrowdStrike and its subcontractors that that investigated the DNC hack. And I'm also concerned that phrasing it that way creates confusion between the two different scenarios of the Biden investigation, you know, which is a Democrat as well, and that we should be clear that these are two different stories. And then finally, parenthetically, if I may, um, you know, there's still the question of the of how this information got to WikiLeaks, which has never been answered. And so anything that offers any sort of new investigation that can answer that question, I'm not sure if this does or not, but let's face that that is an open question at this point. Thank you. Well, Steve, I appreciate the point, and there are three different cases in terms of the quid pro quo. First case, which would be totally legal, is if the president said to some country, I want you to beef up anti-corruption enforcement, uh, and if not, you're not going to get U.S. aid. And no one would have a problem if that was the conversation with Ukraine. The problem that we have is, why is he mentioning Joe Biden and Hunter Biden, political rivals, in a conversation with the Ukrainian leader. I mean, that is the uh, the cardinal sin. 
And then what Mulvaney admitted to, it's not as bad as what the president did, which is talking about Biden and Hunter Biden. That's the worst. But what Mulvaney admitted to is pretty bad. What he's saying is that the the president, for his own personal interest in vindicating uh, his own election and understanding these conspiracy theories, trying to prove these conspiracy theories that Ukraine was trying to assist uh, the Democratic Party, uh, he's going to withhold aid uh, for that personal agenda. Uh, That's I get I, I grant you that's not as bad as saying go investigate my rival, but it's pretty bad when you're turning foreign policy into a personal political agenda, and that's why Mulvaney's admission was so damning. Caroline or Caroline in Los Angeles, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Congressman, my issue is I work in a medical environment, and a few months ago, Rachel Maddow did a whole show or. Uh, a lot of reporting on kids that were having visa issues and these kids were here for specific medical type treatments that they couldn't get in their own countries we're now seeing this with physicians with researchers we have people here working on um, alzheimer's disease they're highly specialized areas um, and they just didn't happen to be born in the united states and now All the countries where the Trump administration has some sort of issue, like I know one couple in particular here working on vision issues for blind people and brain processing, highly specialized. They just happen to have been born in Iran and their processing is never happening. You know, they're one of dozens of people who are here from China or Venezuela and we can't get their visas processed. This appears to be corrupt because those countries have all disappeared from the websites. I mean, it's really like it seems like everything this administration does <laughs> touches is corrupt. And there's so many things. I mean, this is nothing compared to what's happening in Syria. But we need these people here working on these issues. They're NIH funded. They're, I mean, we just don't kind of don't know where to turn now with this level of corruption. I'm just wondering if it makes sense for us to even still call our Congress people, call the Oversight Committee and report this kind of stuff. Or, or you know, how do we deal with sort of this level of corruption and how do we deal with the stuff that's so critical to us but sort of small in the big scheme of things what do we do well carolyn we need a new president but thank you for what you're (laughs) raising because it's it's not just corruption it's uh defiance of common sense. I mean, as you pointed out, these folks are here in this country, some of the best and brightest, and they're working on cures for Alzheimer's, working on cures for cancer, working on cures for diabetes, working on cures for heart disease. And you ask ordinary Americans, I don't care if you go to a blue state or a red state, and you say, you've got doctors and researchers here who are working on cures for these life-threatening diseases. Should we kick them out? Should we send them to China and Iran and Venezuela? Or should we keep them here so that we can come up with some cure to these diseases. I guarantee you overwhelmingly polling would show Americans want those folks here. And yet this administration is doing the exact opposite. They're not having people here who are improving Americans' way of life, and they're hurting our competitiveness because the only way we're going to compete with 1.2 billion people in China or India is if we have people from around the world who are innovating here in the United States. And you know what? I'm not saying anything new. This is how we won the Cold War. Our strategy back then on a bipartisan basis was to have the engineers and scientists and folks uh, willing to work hard even if they didn't have a, a, a fancy education come here. And that's what built the sort of entrepreneurial spirit of this country. So this president is hurting this country. He's hurting people's lives, and he's hurting our uh, ability to compete in the future. Josh in Boulder, Colorado, you're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hello, Congressman Khanna. 
Gavin Newsom just signed a law banning the manufacture and sale of fur products in the state of California. Since your constituents support this, would you introduce legislation to do the same at the federal level? Or if not, can you explain why you support the animal exploitation in the fur industry? Josh, I uh, support I support what Gavin did, and I'm happy to support that legislation at a federal level. Let me look if something has already been introduced. If not, I'm happy to uh, support uh, that kind of an initiative. Annie in Watertown, Wisconsin. You're on the air with Congressman Kana. Well, hi. Here in Wisconsin, we're hearing from our, well, Sensenbrenner and Grossman about being shut out of their committee meetings. And I know Sensenbrenner has said he's not going to go to any. He hasn't been to any, even though they've been taking place for several weeks. And Grossman, I guess, went to one. But they're whining about being shut out. And These are out of the impeachment hearings? Yeah, and Sensenbrenner, I guess, has said that, you know, he objects to not being able to talk about it. So I don't know if he wants to be in Nunez and run to the um, White House or run to the, you know, that danger, or if he, you know, just is afraid of being so old he'll forget to keep his mouth shut. I don't know. What are they being asked? Are they being asked to sign something? Is that why they're objecting, or they just don't want to follow the rules? Annie, first of all, uh, thanks for bringing that to to our attention. I mean, no one is being shut out of committee hearings. Uh, The hearings that are taking place, the depositions that are taking place, have members of both parties. Adam Schiff uh, has been exceedingly fair. Both parties are allowed to ask questions. Both parties are allowed to sit there and observe. The rules, the House ethics rules, prohibit members from uh, divulging information in those hearings, and that's in part for protection of the witness. It's part because these are in classified settings, and you can't divulge information that may be uh, sensitive. Uh, But eventually, if it becomes part of an impeachment inquiry and it doesn't have classified information, uh, that information will become public. Uh, But the the important point to note is there is no different set of rules for the Republicans or the Democrats. Every member of Congress has the same rights to be at these hearings, to participate in the hearings and the questions. Ed in Belfair, Washington, watching us on Free Speech TV. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Representative Rokana, my question has to do with Saudi Arabia. Now, I, my understanding is uh, the occupant of the White House sent 2,000 troops to Saudi Arabia uh, to defend them, which is a dictatorship, which I believe nine of the 11 perpetrators of 9-11 are from Saudi Arabia. So are we going to defend Saudi Arabia if uh, they are attacked by Iran? And why would we do that? And thank you for pointing out the president's hypocrisy on this issue. I mean, Saudi Arabia has been one of the most brutal uh, regimes when it comes to the bombing in Yemen, when it comes to their human rights record. Uh, and there's no reason for us to be sending troops there. You have a president of the United States who's getting up on, on live television and saying, uh, I pulled out of Syria because we have troops in too many places around the world. We have too many commitments. We need to pull our troops out. Uh, and then at, at the same, with the, in the same breath, is saying, and I'm sending troops to Saudi Arabia. So it's an utterly incoherent foreign policy. Uh, there is absolutely no reason to be sending troops to Saudi Arabia. Uh, and it's, it's unfortunate to see how much in bed uh, this president is with the Saudi monarchy. Peter in Orlando, Florida. You're on the air with Congressman Khanna. Hi, how are you doing? Thanks for taking my call. No, my question here is, in the, we are, impeachment is concerned us going along with it here now wouldn't it be better 
for us to concentrate more on the general electorate. Whereas, to try and retain the House, take, regain control of the Senate, and then push through an impeachment. So even if he wins again, with both, without controlling both the House and Senate, God willing, we'll get him out regardless. Because as, to my understanding, even if there's an impeachment now, and let's say he's pushed out, he can run again in the next election. All right, that's my question. Thank you, Peter. Well, Peter, we have a constitutional obligation to defend the Constitution and to do what we need to make it clear that the president's actions violated his oath. And the only available avenue for us is impeachment or removal. Now, I do believe that our presidential candidates should be running on their vision for the country, what they want to do to leave, uh, improve people's lives. And uh, those of us in the House need to do the work of uh, holding this president accountable. But if we don't do it now, uh, I don't believe that we'd be able to uh, do it in the future. And God forbid, if he ever got a second term, uh, certainly we wouldn't be able to do it. So I think now is the time uh, that we need to act. Congressman, we just have 30 seconds to the break. Do you think that, or maybe maybe I should make this more general, do you, is there a sense among the Democrats in the House of Representatives that impeaching Donald Trump is going to help or hurt Donald Trump going into 2020, that the impeachment is unsuccessful in the Senate? Tom, there used to be a sense among some of the members from battleground districts that it may help Trump, but this was before uh, the Ukraine uh, incident broke. And now I think the facts are so clear with the president bragging on national television that he's seeking dirt on Joe Biden from a foreign leader that many of the frontline members say they can make the case to their constituencies, even in Trump districts, that what they're doing is the right thing. And they say the important thing is just for them to also be focused on infrastructure and jobs and uh, convince the their constituencies that they are focused on issues while holding Trump accountable. James in Spokane, Washington. You're on the earth, Congressman Connor. The prisons are inhumane. They're, they're poison in our zeitgeist from the bottom up. If a billionaire goes to prison, he's defended. If it's someone like me, I'm going to get raped, beat up, and murdered while I'm under the care and protection of the state. This is untenable. In a democracy, this has got to be fundamental and changed like as fast as possible. Prison reform, sir. Well, I agree with you that we need a reform. We need, first of all, to do away with mass incarceration. People shouldn't be sitting in jail for possession of marijuana or possession of, uh, of uh, uh, small quantities of drugs or uh, some of the crimes that uh, uh, they're being uh, sent to jail for because they can't afford uh, bail. Uh, so we need to deal with that first and foremost. Second, uh, prison has to have some level of humanity. I mean, you, you, the idea of prison uh, is to keep people from being a threat to society, but also with the hope of rehabilitation and reintegration into society. Otherwise, you have uh, recidivism, uh, and uh, we need to do a lot, much better job making sure that uh, you have basic nutrition and humanitarian standards in our prisons. Yeah. You know, when I watched Michael Moore's last movie, Where to Invade Next, and he did that segment from Norway where he was visiting their prison. It was so humane. And, and one of my best friends when I was a teenager went to prison for two years for possession of marijuana, and he came out broken. And I just had tears in my eyes. I was crying watching that movie. We have so much to learn. Um, 
Nathaniel Hawthorne, I think, once said that there's a persecuting spirit in our country, and we've been dealing with that for hundreds of years. But there's a sense where no one is saying people shouldn't be punished. No one is saying that they shouldn't face the consequences. What we're saying is let's make prisons places of humanity where people, where we still believe in the redemptive possibility of, 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 the, of a human being. Yeah. Ken in Great Falls, Montana, you're on the air with Congressman Connor. Yeah, we're running out of time on this uh, climate change stuff, and the Green New Deal looks good, but we have tools that we can use now, like the the old New Deal. The REA, Rural Electrification Authority, could be modified so that we start installing solar panels. Um, there's over 900 REA uh, co-ops out there already. We could use that same structure and spread it out for green co-ops. We could fund it with a green bond, like we've we had war bonds in World War II. We could do a green bond now to pay for it. That 10000 bucks to install, to buy that equipment for a house, I install solar panels, that could be covered. And we could uh, have a great bond that old people like me could buy to help fund our retirement with 3%, and that money would buy the solar panels. Hmm. We need to get going now. We're out of time. I appreciate the urgency, and I agree with you on rural electric cooperatives being a great place to uh, locate these efforts. I mean, some of them have helped bring high-speed Internet to rural communities. There's no reason that they can't help uh, bring solar and wind energy that would create new jobs in these communities and also tackle climate change. So you're right to think about existing institutions that we had, uh, similar to rural electrification and the New Deal. Uh, we can use uh, these co-ops to help uh, transition to a clean technology economy. William in Minneapolis, listening on AM 950, you're on the air with Congressman Kana. And just a head, heads up, we have a minute and a half until the end of the hour. Okay. So quick question, please. I'll be quick. Um, yeah, and that's the perfect world. Uh, I like how you guys uh, sometimes talk about you know, the, the world, but we got to get rid of this, this administration before we even think about the perfect world. So what my question is, uh, you always hear Republicans talk about this. Uh, he's not accepting uh, any salary, you know, for this $450,000 salary for being president. You know, and I, I don't understand how come it never comes up. Uh, Democrats never talk about how he's, you know, he's got the military standards, hotels, and dignitaries, and having conferences at Mar-a-Lago. I mean, he's collecting millions of dollars on this emolument clause and everything else, and Right. I, don't, I wouldn't need $450,000 salary if I had all that going. There you, know? you go. And, and we have no proof that he's not actually taking that payroll, by the way. Congressman? Well, William, you're right. And look, this is a person who ran for president and not to become president, but by his own admission and everyone close to him, he ran to, for president to build his brand. I mean, he ran for president to build his business empire. He's motivated by uh, winning and making money, and he's doing exactly that. I, I had tweeted out, I said, if he really isn't making a personal profit, uh, why doesn't he offer then for free to host the, the summit? Why is he charging for it if it's not about money? Of course it's about money. Uh, the problem is that the corruption and the wrongdoing is so deep and so numerous uh, in this uh, uh, administration that we don't have enough uh, members of Congress to keep up with it. We'd just be holding hearings from morning to night. But we do have the uh, cardinal crimes, the cardinal offenses that he's done, uh, and we have to continue to make that case to the American people and hope that there are some reasonable Republicans and independents who uh, still believe in upholding our constitutional democracy. Congressman Connor, thanks so much for dropping by today and taking calls for the hour. I look forward to the next time you can do it. 
Thank you, Tom. Thanks. It's always great being on. Thank you so much. You've been listening to Tom Hartman. For audio and video archives, visit TomHartman.com. Tom Hartman Cruise will be sailing in July of 2020. The seven-day Oceana Cruise will be going to Bermuda, and I'll be hosting onboard events about the topics of the day. More info at TomHartman.com or 800-856-1155.